Hi, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Today's show is just Mike and I. Mike is on location somewhere doing MBA actual uh, uh, reporting and journalism, which is important. That's how this podcast gets its credibility, because it's not from me, I promise you that. But before you listen to this podcast where we dissect sort of the favorite matchups for Mike and I as fans uh, in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference first round playoffs, we didn't get too deep into the rest of the playoffs. We'll save that for later. But before you get into this, please do one thing for us and go go subscribe, rate, and review. See, it's three things. I made that up. It's three things. Go rate, review, subscribe, all those good things. We love the feedback. Comments are also greatly appreciated. You can send those comments uh, and questions to MikePreda at SBNation.com. You can also find us on Twitter at SBN at limited underscore upside, and at EpiBen. Uh, and you'll also be on the lookout for next week's podcast. It's not this one. It's the one that's going to be coming after this. It's going to be a big SB Nation NBA all hands on deck MVP discussion. Should be some real quality debate. We're going to put Mike's medal up to the test against some other uh, call or some other listeners that are, or I should say, uh, SB Nation talent like the Zitos of the world who have been on here before. And it should be a festive atmosphere. So enjoy this podcast. Be on the lookout for that one. And uh, and this is the Limited Upside Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. I am alone today, as we used to be, and Mike oh, is in a man, distant so place. Sorry, he oh. is uh, is on the road again, following that beat, that NBA beat. Mike, how's it going, bud? I'm good. I'm coming to you guys live from some room in the Verizon Center after <laughs> Wizards practice. That's uh, where they put Mike. Yeah, that's where they put me. I actually don't even know like exactly where I am in the stadium. Someone just kind of walked me here. Is like, oh, here's a quiet room that they're not going to use for a while. You want to go in here? It's like, sure. So I'm if like, we, uh, wondering, is there a trap door in here somewhere that's going to like kind of take me? If we don't hear from Mike for uh, the next couple of weeks, it's because he's lost in the Verizon Center. <laughs> uh, they've written something they didn't like, and they just kept him there. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll I'm see. envisioning like Mr. Burns having like the. <laughs> that drops me down after they see what I write. Yeah. yeah. That's what's going to happen. As dogs chase you around the premise with bees coming out of their mouth. But anyhow, that's a different, <laughs> that's another Simpsons, that's a layered Simpsons joke right there. That is um, a good layered Simpsons joke. We could do multiple podcasts on just layered Simpsons analogies here, but we, we won't get into that. Uh, I do you was, know what else is a hmm? joke? Hmm? The Go. bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Yeah, there's the segue. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into that. Let's get into the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. And as that pertains to the matchups that you most want to see, Mike, not the matchups that are likely going to happen. This isn't about, uh, you know, maybe that 4-5 matchup that looks like it's getting itself more locked in by the day, that washington Bucks matchup, uh, which mm-hmm. there, there still fluctuate too. But these are the matchups we want to see. These are the, we are fans of the sport. We've been doing this podcast for over 100-something episodes. You know where our, our fan uh, allegiance lies, but we also love to see the best possible matchups. So, Mike, I want to ask you, what is the uh, the 8-1 matchup? Because this is one that's been moving around a lot, and every day it moves a little bit. What's the 8-1 matchup that Mike Prada most wants to see in the Eastern Conference playoffs? I want to see – I don't know whether it's going to be 1-8 or 2-7, but I want to see Indiana-Cleveland after what we saw on Sunday night. Did you watch that game? Uh, bits and pieces, yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm aware well, of what you're talking about. One of the best games of the year. It was fun to see Paul George, who's, by the way, having a great march all the way through to April. You know, If they don't miss make the playoffs, it's not his fault. Like no. He's having an incredible run. 
go toe-to-toe with LeBron like old times. Like, I don't know if I want that to be the 180 or the 2-7. I think it depends which team is the 4 because <laughs> I think it's fairly clear what my preference would be for a potential second-round matchup for a certain team. <laughs> um, but that's a series I want to see. And then I want to see Boston-Miami because uh, I want to see if they he can rebound the hell out of the ball against the Celtics. And I just think those are two well-coached teams. That would be a fun series. So that that is what I'm rooting for. Hmm. I don't disagree with that, especially after the Paul George, the potential, right? So maybe the two teams in that matchup in the Pacers-Cleveland isn't that interesting. But You don't think so? No, not really. But I do think that the two best players, the principals that we'll be watching for 42 minutes a game going against each other, that's about as good of a matchup as you can find at any level of the playoffs. So yeah. I'm See, interested I think in seeing Indiana- that. I think Indiana is a, if, if not a sleeping giant, but I think that's a team that will play better in the playoffs than they do in the regular season because they have the one good player. Their their big problem is their bench stinks, and <laughs> they, you know when in the playoffs you don't have to play your bench as much. That's right. And now they have Lance Stevenson, who's going to irritate the hell out of people. Like you know that that team's sort of been in a lethargic funk, and it's amazing how just getting Lance Stevenson and all the wacky antics he had last night. Do you see the whole thing where he made a layup oh, at the yeah. end and the Raptors got mad? What is it, by the way, with I, the NBA, NBA players like getting mad about gamesmanship at the end of the game? It's I can't the stand it. Week. I can't stand it. Uh, when stand did, when did basketball when? become baseball? When did the unwritten oh, rules of basketball become something that like every player now has to memorize? Like, I hate that stuff, Mike. To get to, to the long, uh, short answer of that longer question, I hate these yeah. unwritten so ben, animosities. How do you feel about it? I think it's very clear how you feel about this. If Lance wants to get two at the end of the game there, then walk away. If the Celtics players are going to continually get mad when their fans appreciate the basketball happening from the other team, then, then walk away. Don't watch it. But like my whole my whole point on players getting angry and calling out other people's like uh, interest or integrity in the sport because they took a cheap two points at the end of a game that was already over, like, come on, there are bigger more important parts of the game that happened throughout the course of the 47 minutes that mattered that you can get mad about. But not that last few seconds when you're basically just looking at the ref, looking at the shot clock, and deciding how you're going to get rid of the ball with the possessions that don't matter. It was funny how the the one incident you didn't mention, which was JaVale McGee shooting a three at the end of the Warriors-Wizards game and Brandon Jennings getting really mad. Like That has turned into like a two-day news cycle yeah. around here. So I think everybody is just bored. Yeah, that's what it like is. The playoffs is starting. And I think also what... The reason the Raptors probably got mad, like, do you think that they would have gotten mad if, like, Monte Ellis did that? No, they no. got mad because it was Lance Stevenson. Totally. And he was messing with them the entire game. He's a lightning rod, and and yeah. he's fully aware. And I'm sure this conversation occurred when he was just re-signed and given a three-year contract back in Indiana. It was, hey, this is your role now, man. It isn't yeah. – we don't have the, the – uh, um, the thought that you're going to be like a perennial all-star, like the last tenure you were here in Indiana, where there were, the expectations were a lot higher from a basketball sense, but they're probably equally as high in terms of what you can do to another team. That doesn't necessarily mean rebounding, assisting, passing defense, etc. Um, that can be blowing in people's faces and or pissing them off with <laughs> last-second twos. Like th- That's part of the game. Instigators yeah. are important, specifically if they can play, too. And Lance can play. I mean, it's not like he's some, you know... Uh, um, some guy who just stands in the corner and then misses a three. Like, Lance is a part of the game, and that's part of what makes this so interesting, too. Um, they bought him. They brought him back in with a specific purpose, and I think that leads to the matchup that you're interested in, which is oh yeah, how does he play against LeBron? Yeah, they they want him to blow in people's faces yep. so that this does not blow up in their faces. <laughs> that's right. That's good. Yes. That's well done. Yeah. Well done. So, yeah, but no, that that I think is clearly the matchup that we want to see. Like, so you give again, me two I, there. I do think that of the teams at the bottom, the Pacers have the most like well. 
they may have another level that we haven't seen all year. It kind of happened last year too, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They should have probably beaten the Raptors, and that was they kind of messed around the entire season there too. And they don't even have as good a team this year, and it's the same sort of thing. That's true. That's true. So you gave me two matchups there. You gave me Pacers, Cleveland, and you gave me Miami, Boston. As it stands right now, Miami's on the outside. Uh, looking in, I'm not sure what their tiebreak situation is with the Pacers uh, and Bulls and Hawks, but they're all really close. I'm gonna double check that right now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, using our handy schedule tracker on <laughs> SBNation.com. <laughs> Lovely. The um, the Heat have the advantage over Indiana two one, but they play one more time. Okay. Um, and the what was the other tiebreak you were talking about? The Bulls uh, and Hawks as well. The Bulls and Hawks. Uh, let's see. This is all super confusing. Uh, Hawks Heat is tied two two. Uh, I don't know who has a better conference record. I think Atlanta's got a big leg up in conference record. So mm-hmm. um, the Bulls have a 3-0 tiebreak lead over the Heat. So the Heat, I think, lose almost every tiebreaker, depending on what happens in this last Indiana game. Got it. Got it. So what do you, how many wins do you think it's going to take to get to that eight seed? Well, let's see. Right now it's at 38. Yeah. I think if you get – the Heat have five games left. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is against Charlotte tonight, which is a – we're recording this on a Tuesday. Huge game. You know, I saw Charlotte here at the Verizon Center last night. I thought they played pretty well, and that was a big bounce-back gut-check wing, I think, for the Wizards. You know, if Miami has that, they have two more against the Wizards coming up. Um, I think if you can get to 40 wins, that should do it. But getting to 40 wins for Miami would mean winning three of their last five. So huh. um, they have sort of wobbled a little bit recently. I think they missed Deion Waiters. Uh, yeah. a lot more than I expected. But I think they will get there. I think the team that will, I'm hoping will drop out is actually Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, I, I also, and I, we had speculated about Atlanta missing the playoffs a few podcasts ago. Um, and obviously they've been playing themselves. They're 2-8 in their last 10, so they're really helping that argument get uh, you know, made <laughs> to fruition here. Um, let me ask you about the next matchup here. Uh, I want to know what your thoughts are. On that 4-5 matchup, what's the most compelling possible 4-5 matchup? Because the Bucks are most almost definitely, I should say almost definitely, because they're trending up as Atlanta's trending down. So there's some separation yeah. there, but they're only a game, believe, a half a game. I believe their magic number is one okay. to make else. There you go, right? So, so Milwaukee's almost penciled in, and, and Middleton's been amazing in coming back and really kind of reshaping that team. Uh, my question for you is, what's the most interesting matchup for the Bucks? Because the Bucks are this, again, I'll use that term lightning rod again, but they're a team who's been under the microscope more than ever this year because of Giannis, uh, because of the injuries that, the, that happened to Parker, because of the injury of, and then the coming back of Middleton. So my question to you is, who do you want to see play the Bucks? Because they're that interesting team, whereas the Raptors, Wizards, and to a lesser extent, Celtics and Caps are kind of separated themselves for the one-two. But between the Raptors and Wizards, and take your take your I'm a Wizards fan hat off right now. Oh, I'm going to have to because okay. Tell me what the I matchup. Want, I don't think that's a team as a fan I'd like to see. Okay. One because <laughs> because there's no tape on them. They the four times they played were all before Middleton came back, huh. which is one of those bizarre quirks in the schedule. The other is I just don't want to have to read against Giannis. But I think Wizards Bucks would be a great basketball series. Agreed. I think it would be tremendous. And then the other thing, too, is that what would be fantastic is that if Chicago gets up to the sixth seed and gets Toronto, uh, when you consider the hex that team, (laughs) the Bulls have had against the Raptors over the years, it took an amazing comeback and an overtime win for the Raptors to break, I think, a 15-game losing streak to the Bulls. Boy, wouldn't that be nerve-wracking for Toronto. I mean, it's always, no matter what, the first round is nerve-wracking for Toronto. When they, yeah, that's true, you know, <laughs> When they lost to the Nets a few years back, and then when they got the, the monkey off their back last year, like, the, the idea is it's always going to be pins and needles there. We talked about this, like, last year, about the emphasis on specific teams in specific markets. And Toronto, 
bears a lot of responsibility for sports in Canada. Not just the market of yes. Toronto, but they're an important team for that country. Um, and these players, I mean, look, they're the climbing the mountain. You have to. Like, Toronto has to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. They have to. If they don't, this is an unsuccessful season, and they're not really moving in a forward direction. They have a, the best roster they've ever had. The only big question mark, and let me ask you what your thoughts on this are, integrating Lowry into the team now that started to form an identity without him is going to be a very interesting subplot of the first round of the playoffs. Do you think that there's a specific team that's going to be able to exploit that against Toronto more than maybe another team? Yeah, I don't know. I think for Toronto, it's all them, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to... Like, the way they've been playing recently, they've had, I think, a fairly easy schedule. Like, I don't think that reintegrating Lowry back into how they're playing, I don't think they're playing, like, super differently than they usually do. Mm -hmm. You know, they're better defensively, but, I mean, their offense is about the same. I think the bigger concern is just, is Lowry going to shoot well in the playoffs and whether you integrate him back or not. And to me, that would be a problem, I think, no matter who they face. But I think just it'll be a really good test, I think, to play the Bulls to see, like, how much they've changed because one of the big changes that they've had since the deadline is they've got supposedly now this defensive presence on the perimeter that they didn't have. They've got P.J. Tucker. They've got Ibaka. Where defense has been really good since those guys arrived. And what better test of what had befallen the Raptors for years and years than seeing a great wing scorer like Jimmy Butler? No doubt. Yeah. Like, does that, like, with regard to Lowry, I don't really think it makes a big difference who they play, but I do think that Chicago will be a great test. You know, the Bulls are such a confusing team. I mean, you talk about a possible sleeping giant. I mean, there's one right there. And I, I wonder, like, if see, if I were them, I would be telling Dwayne Wade, you know, look, you got a lot of time left in your career. Like, take your time. Like, just <laughs> chill. Get right. Like, we're, you know, look out for yourself here. You yeah. know, we don't want you to rush back because they're playing better without him. Here's two plane tickets to anywhere with no return date. They're for you, Dwayne. Take yeah. them. Happy vacation. Happy vacation. Yeah, we know yeah. you need it. But no, it's that's an interesting point. I, I haven't really thought of the Bulls in a positive sense because I look at them as being disappointing. Like before we did all of our preseason predictions and I had the Bulls being better than the Knicks and, and Mike, you'd taken the Knicks over the Bulls and we don't need to relitigate we don't, Congratulations. We don't need to relitigate that. But neither of us was particularly high on the Bulls. We just thought that they weren't gonna be like a complete disaster. And they are Basically, exactly where I think we thought they were. They're thirty-eight and forty, right well, on record their record-wise. I don't yeah. think we thought they would have exactly. the season. They've exactly, had, you know? the, like it's been a bizarre season there, super even weird. by their stand, their standards. Yeah, yeah. And there's no doubt about that. And, and obviously, maybe they're playing for you know for Kraus who who uh, has passed away, and there, there's like other internal things. Maybe they're playing for Fred Hoiberg to be an NBA coach. Like, there's a lot of components in play. You're right. They're an extremely interesting team for a, a big market, high visibility team. Um, they're an interesting one, but. I guess my question is, though, like, if the Bulls, as it's stated right now, as if the playoffs started tomorrow um, and the Bulls were playing the Celtics in the first round, like, would you give them a chance in that series? Say this just falls without what we want to see, but falls where it looks like it, or where it potentially could fall. Do the Bulls have a chance against the Celtics, or is it the type of situation where they need to be playing a Raptors or a Wizards in the first round? I don't think they have a chance against the Celtics. I don't think they'd really have a chance against the Wizards either, to be honest. Um, I think it's really just the hex of Toronto uh, <laughs> that is a factor. I mean, look, in that series, Jimmy Butler is going to be the best player on the court uh-huh. in that series. You know, He will not necessarily be the best. Well, he probably will against the Celtics, but 
I don't think it would be against the Wizards. And, and when I say best, I think the, the player that is most able to enforce like his own will in the game, not necessarily like you know whether he's had the best season. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we learned last year with the Raptors with Paul George. Paul George didn't necessarily have a better season than DeMar DeRozan. But when push came to shove, based on how the team relied on him and how they played, he was the most important player mm-hmm. in that series. And he mm-hmm. did so much on both ends. And and I think if you're Chicago, your hope is that Butler can basically do that to the Raptors too. Right. If you play. And I don't think he has the capability of doing that against some of these other teams that maybe are a little bit more balanced in how they approach their offense. Yeah. You know, Toronto is so two-player focused when you're talking about how they score and what they do that I think it is easier for one guy to kind of take take uh, the re- him out. So, you know, Chicago is uh, – now that they don't have uh, Wade, they've got another shooter on the floor um, with, with Zipser. They got Miritich who's suddenly playing well after, you know, waiting around for him for six months. Right. And Rondo's playing well. It kind of all makes sense now what the roles they're playing. And so, I mean, if we're talking about a wild card with Chicago, that is the return of Wade's a real wild card in one direction or the other. Yeah, you know, So I would still much rather see Chicago if I'm almost any of these teams than anybody else. But Fair enough. Do you, do you think that, uh, to get back real quick as we sidetrack slightly there, do you think that the, the Bucks have a real chance there to knock off either your Wizards or, again, that, that Raptors team who might be uh, questioning or putting too much emphasis on this run because of the importance to their franchise? I think they have a shot. One of the biggest problems that they present, again, is the lack of a tape factor. Like mm-hmm. you don't, with Middleton and without Parker, you're almost dealing with two different teams. And they've played v- sort of differently lineup wise, differently, I mean, not necessarily differently stylistically, but, you know, they've, they look a little bit different with Middleton. You know, Giannis is basically a four now instead yeah. of a three with and that has some lineup ripple effects. And now Brogdon is starting and he wasn't necessarily doing that earlier in the year. And now they're they're staggering Giannis and Middleton and they're playing some weird lineups. That's sort of they're very unpredictable, I think. And that is an advantage in the playoffs. And defensively, they also have the factor of we're just much longer than you. And if you up the effort, that might be a a problem. What's going to be interesting if they play the Wizards is that Washington is a spread it out and attack team. You know they mm-hmm. really space the floor so well. They have this great balance. You know, so it's going to be a cat and mouse game between can they beat Milwaukee's rotations or will Milwaukee disrupt the hell out of them? And if you look at the way they played all season, those two teams when they matched up, there have been some times where Milwaukee is basically like they have seven defenders in the court, and there are <laughs> other times when it feels like they have four. Right. And it just depends on what you get there. So, no, I think they have a shot. I, I don't think they're going to do it because I just don't think in the playoffs off the you can scheme off some of their players. And I do think their coaching is still a little bit of a question mark. Uh, are they going to play the right guys? I think there's some weak spots you can pick at defensively. But, you know, they're also inconvenient. And mm-hmm. you can definitely – you know pretty much what you're getting from Atlanta. And I think that for a coach, I would think, like, you know, Atlanta, I can understand what I'm getting there. Milwaukee, they're sort of not really sure – you know, who's going to, like, could, could Mirza Toledovich come in and win him a game? Could Michael Beasley come in and win him a game? You know, what do you do? How often are they going to play Thom Maker? What about Greg Monroe? You know, the, sure. the unpredictability of them is an, sort of an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time. And I think it's, it's, it's weird to scheme for them. How many players on the Bucks are over six foot eight? I guess the better question is how many players on the Bucks are under six foot eight? I mean, eight? Now yeah, I'm thinking about this. You look at that starting lineup, and Brogdon is, what, six four, six five. Middleton is six eight, and really underrated, by the way. Yeah, he's amazing. That's a dude that he's going to be really effective for them in the playoffs. Giannis is obviously a freak. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Dom Maker is tall and big, and Tony Snell is really long. So they're going to have – I mean, this is why I think Boston is probably happy that they didn't – they moved up, presumably. You know, yeah, and yeah. I think it would be unhappy if they moved down. I mean, they they have a size advantage at every position. I mean, that's going to be a problem, too, against the Wizards. So I, I think it will be inconvenient. I think if I'm Milwaukee, I think Washington's an easier team to play for us than Toronto mm-hmm. because Toronto is big as well, but – uh, I don't. I think they're inconvenient, and so mm-hmm. yeah, I think they have a chance. I don't know if I would put it more at like than twenty five percent, but that's a lot more they, than I would say for anyone else in that mix. It's funny looking at the Bucks roster; they are exceptionally young and exceptionally tall, um, which is a pretty pretty good mix usually. Um, I guess Jason Terry is the shortest guy who plays for them. He's six two. How tall is Delhi? Six four. Yeah, Brogdon six five. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's. That's a lot of height there. Something he said for just being bigger than everybody at every I, position, even today so. in these yeah. days. You yeah, know, right. so I'm actually just fascinated to see how they play in the playoffs, just in general. Because yeah. again, I, I really have no handle on what they're going to end up doing. They yeah. have so many options of how they want to play. I love uh, that point you just, made, by the way, about the the team basically pivoting who they are based upon their different six foot eight, call it shooting guard, small forwards, right? Yeah. Parker's game makes them a completely different team. He's six eight two fifty. He is your Mack truck. Of a small forward, mm-hmm. Chris Middleton, six eight, two thirty. He is your, you know, the quintessential defense and shooting guard, right? Well, also you can give Middleton the ball in the yeah. post. He could, that's an element that Jabari has not quite mastered. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jabari is such an incredible off-ball cutter that you have to account for him when he doesn't have the ball in such a way that you don't. It's Good just point. it's a very different look. Yeah. Uh, and it's gonna. And Milton also is one of those guys that if it's late in the game, you can give him the ball and he can wedge his way for a bucket. Yeah. And that's what they didn't have before. And I'd, that to me is a big question with them. Like if it's a tight game, like will they be able to score late? Mm-hmm. And good. I don't know the answer to that question. That's a good question, indeed. We'll see how it plays out. Um, anything else in the East before we get to the West here? Because the West is less about what matchups we want to see. They're pretty much hammered home at this point, but more you what so? you're looking out for. I mean, like, what, yeah. what's, uh, what's what are you looking at with Oklahoma City? Uh, and the, I think they're still, yeah, yeah probably no. not right. They're probably hammered. Utah got a big win last night against Portland. I, yeah. The AC is still up in the air. I mean, so that's it. It's just it's only a half a game between Portland and Denver now. But, but again, the question there is does either of them have a chance at winning more than a game, maybe, against Golden State? in the first round I don't think so well here's my question who do you, we know what we get from Portland Golden yep. State that was a fun five game series last year mm-hmm. it was there was some beef there was a lot of scoring those teams are well coached we know what that movie is like and it was good but we don't know what Denver the Denver Golden State movie is like like what would you rather see out there Denver uh, yeah for sure Denver. Denver yeah 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 because so the mystery box element of it? You don't know it's, like what that series would be like? Yeah, the mystery box part of it, but I, I want to see, first off, I like showcasing the league's young assets. It'd be a really cool platform for Jokic and uh, for Murray and some of these other young players who are uh, uh, Harris, you know, guys who the greater NBA world probably doesn't know as well as potentially the people who live in the state of Colorado. Um, but there's, So there's that part. The other part is like, look, there's not going to be a clear-cut way to be Golden State. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the San Antonio Spurs and Houston Rockets don't have a clear-cut blueprint to how to beat this team. You just have to, to work your way into a series and figure it out from there. We kind of know how that's going to go, with, uh, like you would mentioned, with Portland. We know that movie, how it ends. 
There are some odd parts of Denver that could potentially give Golden State trouble, which is that if one piece isn't working, there's a substitute piece and even like a secondary substitute piece that they can try out because well, of what, the depth. What, what they are have. those? What are those things? I'm struggling to see them. So what? What is it that is unique about? What could Denver do that could really cause unique problems for? Well, I mean, Golden sure. State? Like they're going to run offense through a big, and they're going to they're going to bring in you know into the picture. They're going to make Zaza and uh, what's his name the. Doofy Center, who, who uh, JaVale? JaVale McGee, yeah. They're going to try to make those two more centric to the series, which, you know, that's all you can hope to do if you try to attack the best players on Golden State with your you know, lesser players. That's going to be a problem. But I'm talking about, like, the call it the, the wings match up decently. Like, they're going to be able to throw a few different matchups at Clay. Now, granted, Clay's going to be better than, I don't know, Barton or Gary Harris, um, but, or, you know, Jamal, uh, Jamal Murray, Emmanuel Moutier, guys like that. But, Moody's not really playing that much. Yeah, Moody right has stopped playing, and that's been a good. Oh, well, I guess for them. he's he's got a spot back because Nelson's been injured. Yeah, but that's part because Jameer is so old. But Jameer's been playing quite well too. He's thirty five, I think. So that's you know, it's only so such high expectations you can place on your thirty five year old point guard who's like five foot ten. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess part of it's just like to see a different matchup. I like this Denver team. Um, I liked them all season long. They're fun to watch. Like I think the casual fan might enjoy watching. Uh, this series play out more so than the Portland Golden State rematch, only insofar as that's going to be Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum trying to outscore two guys who are better than them. Um, and plus, which with Nurkic's, Nurkic's injury, uh, it yeah. throws a little well, bit that, of a loop into why they've actually been successful and find themselves in this place now. Yeah, that's the big concern. I don't know. I, I think Denver is going to get run around. Like, like I actually fear for Jokic in this series defensively. Like, well, I'm yeah. scared. It's, it's like, I just don't. Pretty. I think he's going to look really get exposed for what he's bad at down that end and I don't want to see that. Well, I'd let me, rather Let me ask you a, another question then. Okay. What's well, that that series, you know, uh, hangs in the balance. We'll see if Denver actually gets into that 8 seed or if Portland can maintain it. It's a half game difference right now. They're tied in the loss column. So we'll see how that plays out. However, before this podcast, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, Mike, but you did say that there's something intriguing based upon the last matchup you just saw. Um between the Memphis Grizzlies and San Antonio Spurs, that it might not be as clear-cut of a 7-2 matchup as the Spurs have traditionally played in, uh, or the higher-seed matchup the Spurs usually get. So talk me through why you think this could be a tricky series for the Spurs. I don't think this one is a tricky series. Mm-hmm. Like, But you know, you're know, you referring to the game uh, Tuesday night, the overtime Memphis-San Antonio yeah. game that was like a total slog. Uh, Memphis kept it close, even though Conley went out with like a broken face on a Kawhi Leonard screen. Uh, and... <laughs> Marcus Saul hit his minutes limit. Uh, by the way, I don't know why you have minutes limits when you're getting ready for the playoffs, but I guess they did. They're just seeding the seventh seed at this point. I guess so. Um, I mean, it was just a slog. But I mean, San Antonio. The thing that just worries me about them is how do they score? Right. You know, they are so reliant on Kawhi Leonard. You know, it's it's ironic in a lot of ways because you think of San Antonio as this equal egalitarian system team where you can just plug a lot of different parts in and it's fine. And you look at the on off numbers, sometimes it reflects that way because their system just carries them through. But when push comes to shove, like they, they don't generate a lot of spacing. You know, they didn't have Danny Green in this game. He probably will help a little bit, but nobody guards Tony Parker anymore. Nope. You know, Patty Mills is a, is a, not a, as good a player as he, you know, a traditional starting point guard, he's probably better than Tony Parker. Um, you know, they, LaMarcus Aldridge doesn't space out to the three point line. So there's just no space in a lot of these cases for, for them to score. And I just think that in the playoffs, in the regular season, nobody comes into game. People are only vaguely coming to games saying, you know what, we're just not going to guard Tony Parker. <laughs> 
you're seeing it more and more in the playoffs. You can really do that much more easily. And I wonder what the splits are when Patty Mills is in the game, though. I feel like they're a significantly better team. Well, let's check that. Yeah, I feel uh, like Mike's my stat guy. Stats to figure that out. Yeah, tell uh, me about that. The NBA stats page. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I just don't know if it's fair to ask him to carry such a huge offensive load with so little space over and over again. I don't think I think Memphis will be inconvenient, but they should beat them pretty easily. But yeah. like, what happens as we go forward? It is an interesting conversation to put the pivot point at the best player being Kawhi, and then what is his surrounding or what are his resources on his team? What is the surrounding cast? Compared to when you like juxtapose that with what Tim Duncan always had in a supporting cast, it was built around him. Not sure this team is built around Kawhi, but it might be transitioning into that, and this might just be kind of that that middle year, which they've still have won sixty games. So like, if your stopgap season is a sixty win two seed and you make it to the conference finals, like that's not bad. I, yeah, I guess I, pretty I guess sign me up for that. Yeah. So to your point, Patty mm-hmm. Mills, the Spurs uh, are plus thirteen with him in the game per hundred possessions, and wow. only plus four point eight when he's out. Tony Parker, it's only it's plus five point nine when he's in, plus ten point three when he's out. Wow. So yeah, they are a much better team when Patty Mills is in there. I actually think their best lineup would be neither of them and put Ginobili a point guard, but mm-hmm. that's just me. Uh, so it's just gonna be interesting to see them navigate that. I think, especially when you, if they play Houston, right? You know they. Their defense could stop them, but I I just think it's when you can scheme around some of these players uh, with the way they're playing. I, I think it's going to be a real question. You, certainly, if they get Golden State, like I think they've proven that they cannot really score against Golden State. Yeah, and consistently to beat them. So, you know, we've been saying this a few times though. We often say like, oh, the Spurs are you know built for the regular season and they don't have the extra gear and there are all these problems and they still find ways to succeed. I just I don't know. Yeah. I, something feels difficult about that that game. And, you know, Kawhi is maybe is good enough for it doesn't matter. But they have to have, like, such good shooting mm-hmm. games from ton tough shots to, for them to advance yeah. deep that I just worry about them. I think they're actually kind of lucky that they're going to get Memphis probably and not Oklahoma City because I think the Thunder could give them problems. Yeah. No, I agree, which is a uh... – Mike, you're killing me. You're doing so well with these segues right now. Dude. You're just mentioning <laughs> the teams I want to bring up next. It's perfect. Who's the real host of this program? I know, man. It's the guy who's stuck in somewhere in the Verizon Center, it appears. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you which, which matchup. Forget we don't know who's going to be the home team yet in the Clippers uh, Jazz series, but we know they're probably going to be playing. So what is a more interesting matchup to you, Mike? The Thunder versus Rockets, the former, <laughs> the former Thunder teammates, now one plays for the Rockets, uh, in Harden and, and Westbrook matching up in a first-round playoff matchup, or the Clippers and Jazz, who you know, kind of have similar big men. They are, uh, they are one team that is going in an upward trajectory that is finding themselves higher up in the NBA hierarchy in the Jazz now, and another team who's kind of been there on the fringes of being a title contender without actually getting through the door in the Clippers. So let me ask you this. Which series is more interesting to you? And then of those four teams, which is it, uh, who is the most uh, importance placed upon getting out of this first round? Contrarian take, I am more excited for Utah-LA than hmm. the Russ Harden matchup. Are you, I assume you'd feel differently. Um, no, I mean, I think from an NBA purist standpoint, I, I get where your drift is there. Um, we know what we're going to get from that Oklahoma City Rocket series, which is like a full team effort from the Rockets led by Harden versus like a thousand percent of energy coming from Russell Westbrook and his I mean, squad. They're going to be absurd stat lines. And those yes. teams are pretty, I would say, more even than the records indicate just when you yeah. look at head to head matchups. Yeah, like not they, just, yeah. 
That's true. That's true. And it's also the this will all tie in very well to the NBA narrative of the MVP. So the NBA could really get a blessing here by having their top two MVP candidates playing in the first round. Um, yeah. Not that I mean, there's no question that will be fascinating and yeah. exciting and everybody's going to love that series. The reason I'm really excited for Clippers Jazz, though, is that you've got one team that is trying to break through and has been on the upward trajectory. I just love these sorts of series where it's like the young team going against the established team. Yeah, yeah. With both teams having a lot to lose uh, from losing, they're high stakes. One is, you know, is our growth slowed, and the other is, are we done? You know, right. is this right. is this it? Like, are we never getting anywhere better than this? And so they're they're huge stakes in a lot of ways. I also think that when you think of the narrative flow of these games, the Clippers have always sort of dominated the the Jazz over the years. I think that one win Utah had in Salt Lake was one of the first times they've beaten them. I think in the last three years, there's something about, I don't know if it's a mental block uh, or what it is, um, but there's something about, maybe they play similarly, um, but there's something about the precision of the Clippers when they play the jazz that there's just an extra know-how. And Mm -hmm. I thought it was significant when Utah kind of fell apart uh, in their last game against the Clippers. And that was a big moment. And Rudy Gobert was calling out his teammates for caring about only shots. That was a big narrative moment in their season so the stakes of that series are going to be really high and on the other hand the Clippers kind of been playing a little weirdly recently uh and you know that if they lose there's a ton of pressure on them like do they bring the band back together so yep I just think the stakes of that series are going to be fascinating I agree and I also think that the winner of that series you know look Golden State's really good but they they both have things they can do that can bother the Warriors whether it's just the size of Gobert and the way they move defensively for the Jazz or it's you know the Clippers have had moments where they've looked pretty good against the the Warriors and it's sort of the same thing so that the winner not to say that they'd have a chance to advance to the conference finals but there's like there's a lot of interest in that series for them as well mm-hmm. you know a they're both aiming for a good performance in the second round. Um, so I just think there's – at home court advantage is going to be really interesting, like who gets it at this point. It looks like the Jazz will, but they still have a couple tough games. On the horizon, Utah also has some injuries that uh, I would be a little worried about, you know, with Hill, with Hood, uh, and with Favors. So That's been all season, those three have been injury and yeah, fluxed. Yeah. yeah. So – I don't know. I just think that series is going to be really interesting from kind of – I bet we're going to look back at that series in four or five years as somehow changing perhaps the trajectory of either the winner and the loser Mm -hmm. of that series. I'm trying to think of like other series like I remember like that where you have the young team versus the old team and there's sort of a changing – you remember when Sacramento played Utah a few years like in the 90s in the first round? There was that great series. Uh, the first year the Kings were on the rise and the Jazz were with their old reliables and how much fun that series was. I don't remember it specifically, but I, I understand the two groups that were kind of going in a, opposing directions there for sure. That that core Kings group that made itself into one of the best, probably the second best team of the early 2000s, uh, only behind the Lakers. And uh, and that Jazz team that was obviously you know the second eh, top four team of the 90s. <laughs> yeah, this the, was, you know, a, the, this the Bulls was the and Eastern Conference teams, yeah. Yeah, this was a lockout year. Yeah, got it. Uh, so this was a year. I think that game five went to overtime. Uh, it was a year after the Jazz made the fi- made the finals for the last time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the first year of Jason Williams and uh, the Kings were sort of this real exciting new thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just a drag it out amazing series. Right. And 
decided by the slimmest of margins. And the Jazz never went further in the second round after that. Wow. They won that series. They got kind of drilled by Portland in two years in a row. Right. Uh, then they lost in the first round to Dallas. And very, another very similar like team on the rise, team on the decline sort of series. Sure. I just think that series has a, that sort of potential, that Clippers-Jazz yeah. series. Well, those are fun. It's always good when the narratives exist in a longer, you know, longer-term repercussions, which is uh, maybe you get bounced from the 2017 playoffs, but maybe that means you don't return until the 2020 playoffs. And that's that's where these stakes get raised a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm and then you think. consider Utah with the free agent decisions they have to make coming right. up with Hayward. You know, how much will a first-round series win mean for them bringing him back? Mm-hmm. You know, And then we don't even have to get into the Clippers and just right. the future implications for them. I mean, we all know that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it should be an interesting first round. Uh, we won't get too far into the next rounds and, and our predictions and all those things. We'll save that uh, for another podcast as this all shakes down. As the playoffs do unfold and we get these cemented uh, matchups, we will we will check back and, and, and talk about these a little bit more in another podcast. Um, real quick, and I'd be remiss, but you know, just like in and we always make allusions to this, but uh, uh, European soccer, the bottom of the barrel can be the most fun part of the league sometimes. <laughs> uh, and and here we are, um, the the race for all these protected spots in the bottom of the lottery or the top Break of the lottery. Break up I guess the Brooklyn say. Nets, by the way. The, well, the Nets. Break up the Nets. Who found themselves so far out of contention uh, that they had locked in basically giving Boston the number one pick, which they have not locked in, by the way. If they win out, there's a good chance that they could jump Phoenix. Um, and they would, they would jump Phoenix. They have four games left, and Phoenix's uh, schedule is difficult, and they have ceased to try to win. They've lost uh, 12 in a row. So uh, thank you, Phoenix, for playing. How happy would it make you as a Celtics hater mm-hmm. for the Nets to go on this amazing late-season run to hand over the fifth pick to the Nets <laughs> instead of the first pick? Well, well let me just say that there are is still a high potential here that the Lakers move into that four pick, give that to the Sixers. The Sixers get the third pick, keep that. Uh, and that the Celtics find themselves not with the number one pick and then being uh, having to choose between a number of point guards who will then take away the position of their best player who they might not re-sign so that their that, fans that can get what they want by re-signing Brad Stevens' favorite player, or by re-signing, by signing Brad Stevens' favorite player who actually plays the same position as one of the other heart and soul players on this potentially first place Celtics team in Crowder. So the narratives are amazing here. The, uh, the Celtics have a really interesting <laughs> team that's coming up. I really do. Uh, by got, the way, did yeah. you, what did you think of Mark Fultz showing up at the Loved Sixers it. Nets games Loved and it. saying, "What do you say? Like something like I want to see the team I could get potentially drafted to." Yes, yeah, and he did not <laughs> mean the Nets because he's not going like twenty-five <laughs> overall or whatever the hell it is. So uh, yeah, what, what was your what were you doing when you heard that quote, and what did you do immediately afterwards? I first off, I liked it a lot, and then I immediately went to Draft Express and watched his highlights again to reaffirm that I do in fact want him overall uh, over all the other players in this draft. And you watch Fultz. There's someone had this line. I forget which source it was about like he never looks like he's going fast gets to wherever he wants and in the moments where he does use his explosion you're like oh wow this guy's a 10 he's also exceptionally long he's like a six four and a half guy with just under a six ten wingspan so that plays well and then and then ultimately Fultz was in matchups in the in the Pac-12 this year against really good teams as we know that UCLA and Arizona uh, became really good teams with multiple NBA players on their rosters, playing with a bunch of guys who are no better than like me, you, Rubenstein, and Nanny playing against them uh, as teammates. <laughs> hey, hey, Dan's Dan's a really good three and D player. Like Dan, he, Dan guards the opponent's best player. He doesn't complain. Yeah, yeah, he barely has three point range. But the point is, like, Fultz still looked <laughs> exceptional in these games, and that that was against Ball, and that was, uh, you know, uh, against uh, Laurie Markkinen and and the rest of uh, Arizona's pretty elite guards. Um, 
so it made me happy, but I don't want to get too, too stuck up on an individual player. But I will say is there is a fascinating game tomorrow night. Uh, this is a, a Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday night, um, which is the Nets are going to Orlando. And Orlando, which is the laughing stock of the NBA, thanks to the Hannigan's big board being expressed <laughs> in a photo. Yeah, there are, which there are is, a lot of people around here being like, what the hell I mean, that's that happen there? How do you let that happen? It, it's like the easiest thing to, to not to avoid doing. Flip, it, flip the whiteboard over. There you go. Yeah. Problem solved. Flip or the, just like take the picture somewhere else. Like why are you taking the picture in the GM's office? Like, couldn't people, agree more. Couldn't, people here were like just stunned that that no, happened. I, I couldn't agree more. So that was and ridiculous. And now you have to explain to Aaron Gordon like, oh, we're not actually trading you for Dario Sarge. Yeah, and don't worry. We don't want you, Aaron Gordon. So you can take your bags and unpack them and stay in Orlando. You um, wouldn't make that trade? No. No. The mm, last thing we need is, an, is another okay. non-shooting six foot ten dude to run up and down the court with basically zero NBA IQ or NBA identity. I don't like Aaron Gordon as a player that much. And trust me, if other teams liked him more, he would have been traded at this trade deadline because Orlando was just shooting in the dark with the trades they made. Um, I, we don't have to relitigate all the trades Orlando's made, but they turned I just I love I love the other thing I love is that they could have just kept Sarge. Yeah. They they had I him. think that's what Dario said. He, he did, was yeah. like they had, the, they, had <laughs> they had me they, they traded me so that is it it's for that. You know it's like the whole point being like they wanted Alfred Payton so bad uh, that they traded the, the rights to Sarge. I mean, that, that that happened, and it happened like three years ago. This isn't ancient history. Just like picking Aaron Gordon is not ancient, uh, ancient history either. Um, one last thing about yeah. this. Did you notice that Tobias Harris was one of the trade targets? <laughs> really? Yeah. What, like, so what, what are they doing here? Oh, just trying to retrade for all the guys who they mistakenly got rid of? I mean, that's... I think, I think this is like just... I, it sounds like it was sort of like just a brainstorming board. Like, they... These aren't real targets. They're just yeah. sort of like, hey, let's think about everybody in this type of role right, and we're going right. to put them out there and, you know, whatever. But it's still totally embarrassing. Like, it's yeah. so easy to avoid. It's amateur. It's amateurish. <laughs> it's so it easy. Like, yeah. I anyway, so like this, a, uh, this, yeah. Nets, yeah. this Nets magic game. Yes, it's an important game because if Orlando wins it, I'm not anticipating the Sixers winning another game this year. Um, I There's a few other processy games, I should say, I'll call them that. But, like, the Kings and Lakers still have another game to play. Uh, the Lakers making sure that they are ahead of the Suns is important, right, for the Sixers draft pick. This is all under the lens of a Philadelphia fan. But the Nets and Orlando game tomorrow night, which is in Orlando, uh, if Orlando wins, they hold the tiebreaker head-to-head against the Sixers in terms of uh, they've actually beaten the Sixers three of the four times they've played. Um, There's no head-to-head in draft lottery. Odds. It's you not. Just, you just have a drawing to see who gets more balls. Is that all it is? Yeah, you did, the head-to-head doesn't matter in the draft. Oh, no kidding. I thought that was universal. That's just for playoffs? Because setting? think about it, right? Like, would you give the head-to-head to the team that had more wins or the team that had fewer wins when you're deciding who should yeah, get Yeah, more, I guess. Well, incentivization is one of the biggest issues the NBA has in general. So I don't know the yeah. answer to that. That's a good question. But, like, that's why a tiebreaker would never work. There. That's a good so point. Man, I'm drop, learning stuff on this. Balls. That's how I put the limited in front of upside here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting the limited in limited upside. Um, with that being said, that game is important because uh, um, the Nets are trying to win these days. Orlando is trying to lose, and that is one of those ultimate, like, how does the NBA solve these games games? Um, there's a lot of writing going on currently about how to solve this, the back, you know, the last month of the season. Where You said it, Mike. Do you, I think when talking about playoff teams here, like with Washington, like, there's this malaise that goes over teams who are too high up and too far down, and it creates these you know, basically a month of non-competitive basketball where a lot of fan bases are rooting for their favorite team to lose if you're on the bottom of the barrel. Uh, and, and that's not good. You don't want to incentivize fan bases to not 
care um, or, or to care in, in a negative sense. Um, and so that's an interesting game. But to talk about the Nets, the Nets shouldn't be a whatever, I don't know, 19-win team like they are right now. They should be at least right in that Orlando, Phoenix, Lakers, Sixers realm. You think, it, you think yeah. so? They have more talent than that? I don't know. I mean, I mean the, they, the, the point is these other teams aren't that good either, and these other teams have had – Tons of injuries. I mean, the Sixers well, keep wouldn't in be. Mind, I mean, the Nets have too. Like Jeremy Lin's missed a huge part yeah. of the season. Like if he's healthy all year, like they may be in that mix. Well, that's what I'm know? saying. They, they are a better team than they have been. Than they played for the stretch where they lost whatever, like 24 of 25. Um, also, yeah, Karis Levert has come on. Like there, yeah. you can see sort of some of the fruits of the labor that they've tried to do totally. to build. Well, they're uh, they have 19 no, wins and they've won six of their last 10. So like you, you don't have to look too far into saying they've. Clearly figured something out recently. Um, Maybe it's because it's the end of the season. Well, exactly. But then they're <laughs> playing teams trying. that don't want to win, like the Sixers last night. The Nets put up like 140 points last night. That would have been like four games for the Nets in the middle of the year. Um, so, <laughs> so anyhow, um, the NBA has got to figure that stuff out. Whereas in European well, soccer, thing, though, right? there's relegation. So there's an actual thing there that's daunting that you don't want to be a part of. In the NBA, it's, it's, there's no incentivization to, to be out of that mix. It actually, you want to be further into it. Well, there's okay. I don't want to go too far on this topic. Yeah, la- la- yeah, I think one thing you have to keep in mind is that there's for every action there's a reaction, and so whereas in the Premier League the there's so much interest in the bottom, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is that if you're especially this year when you look at how many teams are just bunched up, if yeah, you're middle, yeah. like eight through sixteen, then you're ga- then you're now like not really playing for yeah. them. So yeah, it just shifts the ledger, and also. What happens in the Premier League, too, uh, is sort of these teams get engaged in such short-term thinking at the bottom where they don't have any sort of vision to move up. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's always the same teams because it's all survival. they're doing – Yeah, because all they're doing is like let's just do just enough to get 16th this year. Right, right. And well, so yeah. at least in the NBA, there's sort of a growth mindset with some of these teams at the bottom. So sure. you might lose that if you do too much to mess with the lottery odds. So I, yeah. I'm not sure what the answer is, but I think you have to acknowledge that those are sort of the trade-offs that you might have to make. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that the NBA has the right commissioner to look into these changes. And, and I'm sure they're entertaining the best possible solutions here um, to a not necessarily broken system, but definitely one that could use a little tinkering. Um, uh, and I'll say the, the middle of the NBA is this year – there's a, a less of a defined middle. There usually is a few teams who are a couple spots out of that eight seed, but who aren't that close to the lottery. And this year, it's sort of like New Orleans and the Mavericks, um, I don't Minnesota, know, De- De- Detroit, Minnesota, exactly. We're like Charlotte now yeah. that they lost last night. Yeah, uh, I exactly. Think they're probably they're probably in trouble. This was a big loss for them, right? And uh. so, like, that's the middle. But even they were only really in this middle, separated from the very bottom and the top, or and the playoffs. You know, in the last what four or five games of the season. So it's. It's maybe not as big of an issue uh, as as we see. Uh, Mike, anything that uh, listeners should be looking out for this weekend? Any other games? Like I noted that Orlando Nets game on one side of the spectrum. Any games that you're interested in this weekend people should be looking out for? Yeah, well, you got Boston-Cleveland, obviously, if yep. we get this out before Wednesday night. Um, that's a biggie. Uh, and then there's just a lot of games that are... You know, actually, Wednesday is a really big NBA night. There are a lot of very important games. Denver-Houston is a big game. Uh, you've got... Uh, OKC-Memphis. OKC Memphis is a big game. There's one other one that was a big deal uh, coming down the stretch. Uh, Miami Charlotte. 
Yes, that's right. Yep. That's the other big one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of interesting games cool. uh, left on the schedule. I think it's, the East is so unsettled that we really don't know. Yeah. But I'm still kind of waiting for the playoffs to start at yeah. this point. Like, it's, it's enough. So we've obviously got a lot of cool stuff coming for the playoffs. Yep. I hope you all will check out. Yep, lots of stuff coming up on SB Nation. This was a stopgap podcast right here. We just wanted to put some content out. Tell you our thoughts on oh, what was wait. going on. No, no, this is, let me get to it, Mike. Let me get to it. I'm oh, trying to give people our podcast. thoughts. No, well, we, we take this all very seriously. Well, I'm saying it's before the playoffs, but it's not quite in the MVP discussion. That's the next podcast coming, guys. Oh, that's that's right. going to be yes. a, a jamboree a extravaganza. We're going to tap into the deep talent pool of SB Nation NBA minds. Mike's going to be debating against a couple other people. I'm going to be your, your moderator, uh, and we're going to figure out once and for all who's the MVP of the league. And I'm going to tell you right now, Mike is suggesting that Mirza Toledovic, no, I'm just kidding. He's not going to bring <laughs> yeah. a random European into the pod. But anyway, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good pod. That'll be why the not, next one next week. Why not Toledovic? I mean, <laughs> he's, he's a great three-point shooter. Yes. You see how many games yeah. he's won for the Bucks. I mean, yes. look, the Bucks are so much better. And what did they do this summer? Did they do anything stop. other than get Mirza Toledovic? Just stop. You know, what, what, they were aimless. And yeah. then now they have Toledovic. And they're going to be have one of their best seasons in a while. You know, there's nothing to do with like how they switched their best player to a different position yeah. and he took off. It's all about that's the only addition they made. And, and I hope listeners are aware of this. Mike will not be debating for Mirza Toledovic, but just in case you're wondering, he can make a good case for basically anybody in, in the NBA, maybe a couple guys who play in the D-League for all I know. Oh, wow. So you're saying that was a good case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, you, you just gave at least a succinct answer to Mirza Toledovic, who, who definitely is not <laughs> in the running for anything this year. Um, kind. Yeah, exactly. But uh, cool. Well, check that one out. Keep looking at all the stuff that's going on in, uh, on SB Nation backslash NBA. Guys, look for whatever it is Mike is doing in D.C. right now. I'm sure it's going to find its way to SB Nation, so we'll tell you more about that eventually. But until next time, everyone, thanks again for listening. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. 